So I come in with a little congestion and I, I back up everybody 10 rows. I love it. We are going to be in John. First of all, Happy New Year. And we are going to be in John chapter 19. And we are going to deal with the crucifixion today a little bit deeper. Um, I'm going to read John 19 verses 16 to 24. So it's a bigger chunk today. <clears throat> but um, let's, let's jump in. So verse 16. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. This is Pilate. After the Jews were saying, crucify, crucify, he pretty much washed his hands of it and he pushed them. He gave them over to be crucified. Verse 17, they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in the Hebrew means Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them. And for my clothing, they casted lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. So, yes, happy new year. And what better mood or what better thing to get the mood right for the new year than the subject of evil? We are about to look at one of the greatest evils ever committed. What is evil, by the way? How did it get here? Why did God allow it to infect the world? Theologians and philosophers, they've been debating this topic of evil or quote unquote the problem of evil for centuries. What do we know about evil as Christians? Well, we know we don't like it. At least most people don't like it. Even people who don't believe in God or the supernatural would say evil is not good. I remember early in my walk with the Lord, this was a big struggle with me. I was, uh, I was trying to figure this out. You know, how is God sovereign over all things, yet allows something so detrimental like evil to come into the world? And of course, I had that all figured out. Joking. <clears throat> well, we know that God is not the author of sin or evil. We also know that all things are completely and sovereignly under his control. Makes you think. Why did God give man and the angelic beings that are in his dimension a choice in the beginning to do evil or not to do evil? We know Adam had that choice. We know where evil entered into the world. We know who enticed Adam and Eve to indulge in evil. We know when this happened. 
We know that Adam or mankind spiritually died and the whole entire world became corrupted with sin after that transgression. We know sin then unleashed this exponential growing force of anti-creation and anti-life. That's what evil is. Just the opposite of what Jesus brings. We know evil would not go away, at least not right away. Once man was separated from God, evil began to grow worse and worse. So much so that God destroyed the world with a flood in order to contain evil. He wiped everything out and he saved Noah and his family. You may ask, well, why didn't God wipe out evil completely after the flood? Why does it still, and did it still continue to grow into atrocities and wickedness that it would be even sinful to talk about or to mention? Well, I'm not sure if you've ever watched uh, boxing or an MMA fight where the fighter has a strategy, one of the two fighters. And that strategy is rather than go right after and attack the opponent, he wears the opponent out. The longer he allows his opponent to swing, punch, dance around, the more confident yet tired the opponent gets. He may even, like Rocky did to Clubber Lang in Rocky III, if you remember that, you ain't so bad. Come on, hit me. And then just letting Clubber Lang just pounce on him, right? It's a great scene. I love that. <laughs> allowing, allowing himself to get hit and pummeled and pummeled. And, uh, and once somebody says something and Mickey, you know, in the corner goes, uh, or not Mickey, or Paulie says, you know, as Mickey was dying, Paulie says, uh, yeah, he's wearing him out. He's wearing him out, you know. And then just at the right time, when the opponent becomes completely exhausted, Rocky struck. He retaliated with all his power, and he gets the knockout. And that's very similar to what I believe God did at the cross. You see, when we ask the question of why regarding evil, we will not get the answers that we want. Not any time soon. We will know as we are known when we are in the presence of God in the fullness of the kingdom. What we have to bank on now is we know that our God is good. We know that our God cannot be cruel. We know his character doesn't allow evil to be anywhere near him, in a sense. He could never commit evil. However, the Bible doesn't tell us the whys about evil. But here's what it does tell us. It tells us that God knew what he was doing all along in order to defeat evil. And that's what he did. When we look at this passage and we look at all the components of the crucifixion, and we take into consideration who was writing this book, John the Apostle. <clears throat> we see that God not only defeated evil at the cross, but he also allowed evil to do its worst so at the perfect time he could do his best, meaning God, in order to defeat it. 
So how and where did evil do its worst? Well, <clears throat> Colossians 2.13 says, when he had dis- disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, meaning Jesus Christ. <clears throat> God, by tricking, quote unquote, the powers of darkness to unleash all of its force and exhausted at the cross, he was able to disarm evil permanently from infecting the new creation. You see, that's what we got to remember. <clears throat> it's the new creation that God, that Jesus came to launch in his resurrection. Evil has no power in the new creation at all. It's just in the current age, evil still exists. And if Christ didn't exhaust its power and render it useless at the cross, then that new creation could have never began. Jesus's resurrection would have been nil. It would have been a neat miracle. But what he did is he launched that new life. And so what we're going to talk about today is this passage on how John sort of alludes to this and shows us how we know evil did its worst. And what does this mean for us even now when evil crosses our path? How do we deal with it when we see these atrocities that are happening even in our life or we go back throughout history and we see things like the Holocaust and all those other, those just tremendously uh, just wickedness and you don't understand how, how could people do that? And even question about why, like, why is God allowing evil in my life to infect my life? Why did he take this person from me? Why did that drunk driver have to hit that person? Why did this have to happen? Why did that? Well, I hope today will encourage you when you come across those things to be able to look back and reflect on this. Jesus himself, first of all, tells us that evil at the time of his cross, at the time of his crucifixion, was about to do its worst. He says in Luke 22, 52 to 53, then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. But this hour... And the power of darkness are yours. Now, this word power is a different word than we usually see the word power. Uh, In the Greek, it's exousia, A-E-X-O-U-S-I-A, where we would look at like um, you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's a different word. That's where we get the word dynamite, dynamis. This word power that Jesus uses about the power of darkness means authority to influence, a privilege or a right. So God simply opened up the door for all the evil to come in at this hour with all of its force against Jesus. <clears throat> this, the same word power is also used in John 1.12. John uses it and says, but as many as received him, to them he gave power right, authority, privilege to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. 
So this is from Jesus. He knows we could, he's telling us that the power of darkness, the hour of the power of darkness is unleashed at the cross. Now we also see John here tells us they handed him over to be crucified in 17. And it said that he was bearing his own cross. This meant that this is the exact translation, but it really means bearing the cross for himself. A lot of people say, well, this contradicts Simon of Cyrene where he came and helped Jesus. It's, that's not the case. Simon did help Jesus, but initially or afterwards, Jesus bore his own cross by himself. Now, this is called the place of the skull. And if you look out at this place, it's, it looks like a skull. It looks like uh, a skeleton head. That's what Golgotha means, or in the Latin, <clears throat> it means Calvary. So we say Jesus died on Calvary. But what I believe he's trying to show us here, there's two, there's two really neat things here. Number one, he went bearing his own cross to a place that was very familiar with everyone, especially Jewish people at the time. It was right outside the city, <clears throat> and it was right at the top, which we believe is Mount Moriah. Two really prominent things happened in Mount Moriah. Number one, Abraham took his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him by the commandment of the Lord. And what did Isaac do? It says in that scripture that he bore and carried the wood for the sacrifice. So there's echoes to Isaac in that ultimate sacrifice. Now, even more prominently, and this we definitely know because the scripture tells us that Solomon built his temple on Mount Moriah. And so here we have allusions to Isaac being sacrificed, Abraham's only son. But where the evil comes in is Solomon building his temple in the same place where he would sacrifice every day to the living God. And now in that very same place, the living God is going to be sacrificed. We also see Jesus here, the sinless one, between two thieves, two robbers on either side. Now we could go into that too, Jesus being that mediator. But really, when you look at the evil, that's obviously the, the forces of darkness are behind this. God is unleashing the powers of darkness. He's allowing it to do its worst. But he's using the political powers. He's using the religious powers to partake in this as well. They are using their full force. The worst that they can do to Christ. We see here that it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. These were the major languages at the time. And why Rome did that is because they were feared because of crucifixion. Crucifixion was something that I can't even compare it to something now in terms of the, the, the how if it was mentioned back then, it, was, it would send shivers down your spine. No one talked about it. Okay. <clears throat> no one talked about the cross of the Roman cross. Because it was so feared. Because if you messed up, that's where you would end up. But it was a mocking. It was a mocking of Jesus. 
because he was saying, Jesus, the king of the Jews, here's your king hanging on a cross. One of the worst things we can imagine in all languages because it was right outside the city. And as people are walking into Jerusalem, don't get any ideas where that's where you'll end up. <clears throat> now we have the torment of crucifixion. Again, I'm not going to go into crazy detail. Most of us have heard the stories, saw the movies, and we can have a picture of what this must have been like. <clears throat> but there is one thing about the crucifixion that I think that we forget. <clears throat> and that is that Jesus was naked on the cross. We don't see that in the movies too often. Jesus was stripped completely naked when people would be crucified. <clears throat> now, look, when you look at this, again, who's writing this book? John. John's book um, from the very beginning is all about God's new world that he's making through Christ. He starts out mimicking almost exactly the book of Genesis in the beginning. And we saw as throughout all of our teachings, throughout all of the times, you know, we, we, we've reflected back to Genesis many times. We've reflected back to all the, the feasts, the Passover celebration, the Feast of Booths, all these things that John brings in to this. But I lo- what he does here, I, I think, is so um, powerful because he says that <clears throat> the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. <clears throat> now the tunic was seamless. It was woven in one piece. <clears throat> He took the outer garments. Now this, what does this make you think about if you're thinking about Genesis? You see, there's two places in history where evil did its worst. One is the crucifixion. That's very, very bad. But really, if we look back to the beginning, that first sin of Adam and Eve, evil did its worst there as well by creating an absolute catastrophe for mankind, separated from God forever. You see, before Adam and Eve committed this sin, they were both naked, hanging out, and they weren't ashamed. That's bizarre to think about that, right? It's absolutely bizarre to think about just standing here at the pulpit without any clothes on, right? And you guys just being like, yeah, no, that's naked. Yeah, no big deal. Because sin has infected our minds so much that that's the last thing that we ever want to do. I don't, I don't like to do that myself. I stay away from the mirror, okay? It's just, it just brings in shame when you see somebody else like that. But then after... What did Adam do? Their eyes were open, Genesis 3, and they knew that they were naked and they immediately ran away from each other. They sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves loin coverings. But you see, that wasn't good enough. 
I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. That's what Adam said to God. So I hid myself. You see, God, right after that, in verse 21, it says, the Lord made garments of skin. In the Hebrew, this is the same exact word that John uses for tunic. When he said that Jesus was stripped of his tunic, it's the same word that John uses here, is the same word that in the Hebrew is for garments. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So this John is pointing us back to that first horrific sin, but also that first sacrifice that God made by killing an animal. And then he, and, and he took them and he clothed them with that, with that garment. Pointing to the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus Christ dying for that sin. You see, God, what he did also here was in this, from the beginning when Adam sinned all the way until the time of the crucifixion, God contained sin, the Bible says, yes, but he also put something into place in order to draw sin and to make sin utterly sinful. Does anybody know what that is? It's the law. You see, he took, he made the law so that the law would get sin and magnify it. Romans 7, 7, sinful passions are aroused by the law. That's why when you sit there and say, I'm going to be good, I'm going to do this, and you try to work your way, work your way outside of Christ, you just make yourself worse. Your sin becomes even more tantalizing. It's like, I can't, I can't get away from this. It's like, I'm always thinking about it. I always want to do it. It's because you're not trusting in Christ and his power. Because the law, your good works, you following rules, cannot take away that power. Through the law, the commandment becomes utterly sinful. You see, Jesus kept the law perfectly. He personified the ceremonial law. He personified the sacrificial law. He personified the judicial law and the moral aspect of the law in his life and in his death. And God created the law in the, and the people of Israel to obey that law, to make that covenant with him. But that law could not take away sin. What it did instead is it made sin utterly sinful. So you could see the wickedness, you could see the, the absolute horror of sin that is laid upon the one, the only one that was ever able to keep that law perfectly. <clears throat> So not only are we looking back at Adam and Eve and we're seeing these, these the, the sin of Adam and Eve and God showing us a foreshadow of what's going to happen with that sin at the cross. <clears throat> but we also see here, as Paul said, sin taking the opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, Sin is dead. 
So Jesus bore the curse of the law. Think of the evil that had to be quenched. See, that's why people say, well, <clears throat> if there's a lot of religions out there that say Jesus isn't fully God. He's, the, he's a God. But that, to me, the argument's over real quick because only a holy, righteous God could consume the wrath of a holy, righteous God. Nobody else could do what Jesus did because nobody else could exhaust the evil like God himself because that's how bad evil is. Sin is equal, it, it ends up in death. Death is permanent, infinite, away from God. So Jesus became a magnet for the sin of the whole world was placed upon him. As Chris read, he became an abomination to God. Proverbs 17, 15. <clears throat> Listen, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both are alike an abomination to the Lord. Who justifies the wicked? Jesus. Who condemned the righteous? God. They're an abomin That's an abomination. Jesus became an abomination in order to free us from sin. He consumed that word abomination. Is a, it's, it's, it's another way of saying absolutely disgusting. I can't even look at it. This is what went on to Christ and he absorbed it and took it. You see, this was God's plan from the beginning. That this was God's amazing wisdom and plan that he would become a man and bear the sin of those people that turned away from him and hated him. And he would make them into new creatures and put the law and, and on, written on their hearts so that they would want to follow him out of love. That's ultimate love. <clears throat> we read Peter's sermon in Acts <clears throat> chapter 2, 23 to 24. Speaking of Jesus, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay? And then the next verse is, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Again, here we see this credible foreknowledge of God, yet man's guilty for crucifying him as well. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. The only way agony of death can come is if a death is it can be eliminated is if death is defeated. And that's what he did. He defeated death by defeating evil. He defeated evil by taking on our sin and then rose again. That first fruit, that first picture of the new life and the new creation that is to come. <clears throat> the power of darkness did all it could against God and God did all he could. He literally did. He did all he could to defeat it. He sent his son to be the target of the greatest evil ever committed 
Jesus' own words tell us the power of darkness is unleashed. The place, the place of the skull, the place where Abraham brought his son and God withheld his hand. The place that Solomon honored God to get the sins of the people to be taken away, to partially taken away, not absolved, but to be covered as a type of the one that's going to be to come. Jesus gets crucified in that very same place. All the political and religious forces against Jesus. Seeing that Roman cross with the king of the Jews on there. About a hundred years before that, you heard of the Spartacus um, led a rebellion. And then there was a guy that rose up against Spartacus about two years later in Rome, and he defeated him. And as, as much as we could think of the Holocaust, again, not to continually use that as an example, but as much as we look at that as a horror, the Jewish people looked back at this defeat because what this guy did is he killed over 6,000 of these slaves that, and Spartacus as well, and he crucified them all down this Roman road. So as you would walk down, you would just see these bodies, just 6,000 of them. Could you imagine that? So this was a terrifying, terrifying thing for them. And this happened right outside of Jerusalem with Jesus hanging there as well, being the magnet for all the sin, being that abomination because of the evil and obviously rising again in victory. So what does this all mean to us? Okay, gave you a lot of information, very little application. See, this is the key, in my opinion, of of answering, again, in my opinion, this is how I deal with evil. All the questions that I have about evil. Yes, Jesus died and defeated it. But it's almost like when one of the things that bothers me is when my children tell me they're starving. I'm starving, Dad. Right? And <clears throat> I remember one time I, I showed him a picture on the internet of people, kids that are really starving. You know, the old, the old switcheroo, you know. We were, let me show you this, let me show you that. And look at all the food we have in our fridge. Just because it's not a snack that you can just get, you know. You, <clears throat> We show them these, these pictures. So for me, and I recommend this for you, when you encounter evil, like when you say you're starving and you're really not, when you encounter evil of this world that crosses your path, look at the cross to see what evil really is. <clears throat> Jesus hanging there naked. You see, the tragedy <clears throat> is just not the crucifixion, but that these people lost the relationship with God. These Jewish, the Jewish people, the Romans, there was that crucified him, especially the Jewish people. This was the final straw of all the time. Again, this is not anti-Semitic. We're, this, we're all guilty of this. This all traces back to the sin of Adam, and we're all from that line. Okay. So it's, it's not, I, I don't like oh, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, because 
we have to remember, remind ourselves once in a while, this is us too. <clears throat> but they, they turned away from Jesus, they took their king, and they crucified him rather than getting under his power and authority, rather than accepting who he said he was, rather than seeing exactly who he was, it was very evident. They were too much concerned about what they would lose and their power, their authority, their politics, what they had planned, what they thought the Messiah was going to be like. And I see that so much with people. I go, I would never believe in a God that allows all this evil. I would never believe in a God that would do that. I would never believe in a God that would, you know, take my father at such a young age or take my mother or whatever the case is. Just think of all the evils that we endure in our life. And if you haven't ever said why, then I, I, I wouldn't believe you. I think we all have to question it. <clears throat> but Jesus died on the cross. The innocent one. He consumed the wrath of God, the justice of God for us. There's no uh, greater evil than that. There's no greater injustice. There's no greater that's not fair then Jesus, the sinless one, the God of the universe who created all of us and all things to die a death that he didn't deserve so we could have life. So when you have those things happen, I'm not saying go, yes, all right, evil's great now because I can look at the cross. No, we have emotion, we grieve, but coincidentally, that's when Jesus shows himself to us the most, when you trust him. My favorite is Genesis 50, 20. <clears throat> Joseph and his brothers, his brothers being very scared now that the father had died. What's he going to do to us? We threw him into the pit. We sold him into slavery. And Joseph, <clears throat> obviously by the Holy Spirit, but with such great wisdom, as for you, <clears throat> you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. See that? That's the cross. This cross, this crucifixion, this evil was meant for, it was meant in a way that was completely evil intent. But God meant it for good so that many people can be alive. God took the very greatest act of evil in all of history and turned it into the greatest event of all of history, the cross. And he can do the same for each one of you. And if you're listening or watching, you as well, anyone that comes to him, he does the same thing. He takes our life and he opens our eyes to see just that Eve, how bad we are. Because we all think we're good until we compare ourselves to Jesus and what God really expects. And we go, I can never be like Jesus. And, And God goes, you're right. But you don't have to be like him. You have to believe in him. And then you'll become more like him through the Holy Spirit. Not through good works or all the other things that we try to prop up. He could do the same thing You're in your sin. Your good works are like filthy rags to God. 
That's what he said to Israel. You know, all your good works that you're doing are like filthy rags. I want your heart. And they didn't give, him his, give the heart to him. But when you embrace Christ, he gives you a new heart. And he changes you and turns you 180 degrees. When you embrace his son, he takes all the evil your sin has caused and deserves. And he exhausts it in one swift punch. And that's what we have to do as believers. We have to embrace. The cross isn't a one-time decision, folks. The cross is a way of life. And it's an embracing of the cross. Okay? It's a holding of the cross. It's a, it's, it's a, <clears throat> you have to become in love with the cross. That's freedom. Because if you do that, it doesn't mean you enjoy pain. It doesn't mean that you enjoy, uh, you know, visualizing the crucifixion. No, by embracing the cross, in essence, what you're doing is you're denying your sinful passions. You're denying your old self. And now you are following in the footsteps of your Savior and King by the way of the cross. And the beautiful thing is, is that God will empower you to do it. He's not, he's not waiting for you to pick yourself up from your bootstraps. He's saying, come to me and I will do this for you. And that's what I'm calling and inviting you to do. If you've never fully surrendered your life over to Christ, even right now where you're sitting, you just, you just cut it. You go to him. I don't know. I don't, however you would go to him. Pray, talk, cry, yell. I don't care. Come to him. Exhaust that evil. Be part of the victory in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing sacrifice. Lord, we'll, um, we'll never know how much it cost. Lord, not even in eternity, we'll probably still be trying to figure out your amazing gospel. But Lord, we don't, we're not asking for all the answers. We're asking for you to shed the love of your son abroad in our heart. Allow us to follow him. <clears throat> Lord, allow us and help us turn, turn to turn from evil and from our sin and to turn to you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Now let's stand together and sing this last song. How great is he?